0: A warm welcome to everybody My name is Aston and welcome to my channel I'll be uploading a lot of ministry content Some preaching, some Christian apologetics Substance abuse, recovery material And some life coaching principles and strategies So we are continuing in John, John chapter 1, and then uh, we'll be going from verse 14 to 18. So it's just a few verses. Um, we've been looking at. this is our third session on John now. and we'll be continuing. John chapter number 1 from verse 14 to 18 reads as follows, The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me because He existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from His fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has reveal Him." So one of the things that I enjoy about my work um, yet yeah, the uh, Recovery Center is that I have an opportunity to engage with people that come from addiction, but also there's some level of, um, of understanding. Um, if somebody comes to my office and I have a conversation with them, Most times, when people look at me, they would never have assumed that I come from addiction. And when I start sharing with them and engaging with them, um, there's a way of them relating to me. Now, a big question a lot of people will ask is, how does Jesus actually relate to me? We hear about Jesus, the Bible teaches and preaches about Jesus, but how does Jesus relate to me? Now the thing that I have in common with somebody in addiction is I come from addiction. But what is the thing that God, because Jesus is God, have with us? Now John's verses, um, verse fourteen, part A, actually gives us an answer in that, and we're going to see how the gospel actually embodies Jesus. So listen to this. It says, "The Word became flesh and took up residence." among us so the word um, took, became flesh and took up residence among us so just a quick recap we saw that jesus is the word that jesus is god that he has created all things and that he is life and light to the world life to the spiritual dead light to the spiritual darkened now we see that that word becomes flesh so, the coming of Jesus is, uh, is, is not where the gospel story begins, but the coming of Jesus is the next chapter to the gospel. So, the coming of Jesus is not, this is where the story starts now, here's Emmanuel, God with us, here's Jesus. No, but it's actually the next chapter of the same book. And how we know this is, because how we get part B of verses 14 actually explains that. But here's just a few points of how Jesus relates to us. Firstly, he became flesh. Jesus becomes flesh and that's his way of relating to us. God became a man. So um, if Jesus did not become a man, he would have not have been tempted. So what does that mean? Well. We see that Jesus was tempted in every way, like we are, but He doesn't sin. So Jesus goes through temptation, Jesus experiences hardship, Jesus goes through challenges, Jesus is forsaken, Jesus is stabbed in the back. We see when Jesus comes uh, to uh, the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus weeps. Jesus is a man having the full man experience. So just like I can say to somebody in addiction I know what that feels like Jesus can relate to us Because why? He's also undergone temptation The difference between us and Jesus is Because Jesus doesn't have sin He doesn't fall to temptation So He doesn't sin in temptation But we sin in temptation The second point is um, If Jesus did not become a man He could not be an example Now what does that mean? Well, the Bible gives us the holy standard of God and the Bible gives us a moral standing. And we see the life of Jesus bringing a standard that none of us can fulfill. Because the law reveals to us that all of us are sinners. But the re- law also reveals the righteous standard of God and it shows us that because we are Um, That's why we need verse 4 of chapter 1, Zoe, life, because why? We are spiritually dead. And that's why we need um, his light to shine in darkness, because why? We are in that darkness. We are in spiritual darkness. So Jesus becomes the example by him being the one that fulfills the righteous standard of God. And guess what? We now have a, a a a a tool we now have an example we now have a standard jesus is that standard jesus is that tool jesus is that example i'll give you a perfect one how many of you know those husbands thank you WwJ.E. and it stands for what would jesus do But the reason behind that band is, so firstly, I'll say this, we are not Jesus. However, he has become an example. So every time somebody looks at that wristband, they would think about who Jesus is, how Jesus displays himself in the scripture, and how would he respond to this? Because why? We have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus as an example. He is now the standard. So what would Jesus do in a situation of temptation? What would Jesus do in a situation of sin? What would Jesus do? And we know that He doesn't sin. But what would Jesus do? Because now the Bible in the New Testament becomes that standard. And then another point is, if Jesus did not become man, He would not die. So if the Word never became flesh, He would have never been able to relate to the experience that not only all of us see in our loved ones, but also the experience that all of us would undergo one day. Now the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus dies not because of his sin, but because our sin is imputed in him. Jesus takes our sin and that is why he, he utters the words when he's on the cross. "Eloi, Eloi, My God, my God, why has he forsaken me? That's what it means. Now why was Jesus forsaken? Jesus, at that point in time, was forsaken because the world's sin, or the sin of the elect, is imputed upon Jesus. And as he absorbs the world's sin, God turns his back on Jesus. Because God turns his back on the sinner. And he absorbs the sin of the world, bringing the judgment and the condemnation for those sins. And God forsakes him now here's the thing jesus done that why to engage to atone to pay the penalty to redeem us back but that's how jesus relates to us so verse 14 is a big point for us because why the word became flesh and took up residence among us so why did the word have to come flesh Well. Jesus has, um, if Jesus wasn't a man, He wouldn't have been tempted. Um, if Jesus uh, didn't become a man, He wouldn't have been an example. Nor um, would He have been able to die. Which leads us on to part B of the verse. Then it says, We observed His glory. The glory as the, only, the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there's a beautiful link that John makes to the Old Testament. And the first link that we see is Jesus and the tabernacle. Now, how and where? Well, it says, We observed his glory. Now, when the Bible speaks about glory, throughout the Bible we see there's the time of the temple and the glory of God is removed. We're going to be touching it on, on it on Sunday a little bit. And then we see how through symbols, all throughout the Old Testament, God's glory was with the nation of israel he was there as a pillar of cloud uh, 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 and he is walking with the nation of israel in the wilderness so god's glory is there with them so he when it says that we observed his glory the glory as the one and only son from the father when we speaking about glory the 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 audience would understand exactly what john would be speaking of because they know the glory of god but now the glory of god is not manifested through symbols but the glory of god is flesh god's glory is a person embodied in jesus and that's what we see so no longer is it a place of worship like a tabernacle but it's a relationship and jesus makes that possible and then um, Jesus and the glory of God. He brings that glory. Um, and then the next distinction that we'll see in the next couple of verses. So something that is important that we see is Jesus is full of two things. Number one, grace. And number two, truth. So grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. God' Mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. And then we get verse 15, John testified concerning him and explained, this is the one in whom I said, the one coming after me, he has surpassed me because he existed before me. Now here we see John and obviously the audience would understand this because John is seen as the last prophet in the Bible. So John is seen as the last prophet in the Bible and because he's seen as the last prophet in the Bible, he's the voice now. There was a time of silence where there was no angel visitation. There was no more prophecies or anything like that. And here John all of a sudden starts speaking about the coming of God, the glory of God. Okay. Now John is that voice in the wilderness testifying and speaking of him. But he says something that is interesting. He says this: "The one coming after me has surpassed me." So John was born before Jesus, a couple of months before Jesus, and Jesus was born after. But he's saying, even though I was born first as the last prophet, there is one more person that comes after me, but is much greater than me. So he's the one that makes the prophets great. So there's a lot of link up between the Old Testament. And the new testament so in uh, and, and he says he because he existed before me so john is speaking about jesus but jesus was born after john but john says he existed before me and that takes us back to the beginning of the chapter in the beginning was the word And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was always in existence. But Jesus becomes a man for all of those things that we spoke about. The temptation, Him being an example, and Him having to die. So when people ask you as a Christian, why did Jesus have to be a man? Do you even know why? Can you you point people to Bible passages to explain them why? Why? Well, John is a good place to start. John chapter 1 is a very good place to start because what does verse 14 say? The Word became flesh and He took up His residence among us. And we have that standard of Jesus as an example throughout the Bibles. That's why He needed to become flesh. We have the temptation and the life and everything that Jesus goes through and ultimately the death but then also the resurrection. Jesus being 100% man, He can die, but being 100% God, He can raise back to life. And then He makes another link between Jesus and the law. He says, verse 16, and if you didn't know, our church's foundation is actually verse 16 and 17. Our church is built up from these verses. Then it says, Indeed, we have all received, listen to this, grace, after grace from his fullness. So this next chapter of the gospel is about grace. But this grace of God isn't like the grace of the world that has a limit to it. So with your license disc of your car when your license disc is expired they give you a month and they call it a grace period. But the Bible's grace is not a grace period as if to say we can outrun or exhaust the grace of God. Listen to this. For indeed, we have all received grace after grace. So this person, God, Jesus Christ, comes in the flesh and establishes and brings this grace. Now, here's the thing, and it says this, from his fullness, which means his capacity has the ability to never run dry. And there's an endless supply of grace after grace, after grace, after grace, and then here he makes the link between Jesus and the law. He says, "For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we know in the Old Testament the Israelites get the law through Moses, and the law is God's standard of God. Uh, I love the way Sister Jasmine always, uh, she, she uses the example. She says, The law is like a mirror. It shows you that the hair is out of place, but it doesn't have the ability to put the hair in its place. The law is like that mirror. When you look in the mirror, you see the imperfection, but the mirror doesn't change the imperfection. And that's what the law oh. is. The old, standard, the, old, the old Testament shows us our imperfection, but doesn't have the ability to change that. But Jesus changes that. So in the Christ-centered exposition in uh, page 25, there's something that I highlighted that I I actually want to share. And it says this. It says, The giving of the law was a matter of grace. So remember, the, the law itself wasn't grace. But the giving, the actual giving of the law was a matter of grace. Then it says this, God has always desired his people to respond to him in faith and as a result of that faith to live in obedience to his word. However, because of the Israelites lack of faith and their disobedience, God gave them the law as a means of protection. The law was able to show them the sinfulness of their actions (Romans 7:13), but the law was never intended to save the Jews. The purpose of the law was was not to draw people to itself, for it had no grace to offer. The law itself was not an instrument of grace; rather, God would give grace through Jesus to those who violate the law. So the law points out our sin, and all of us are we've rebelled from the glorious standard of God. The law points out that we are sinners. We know that we are not Jews, the law was not given to us, but the law is still a standard that shows us God's righteousness, but points out our inability to live according to God's standard. And the grace that we find is through Jesus, because God saves those has broken the law and Moses comes with that law but Jesus comes with that grace we in the face of God are guilty as law breakers but through what Jesus Christ does he brings grace and he brings truth verse 17 for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ And then verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who who is at the Father's side. Listen to this. He has revealed Him. Now, nobody has ever seen God. Either the people that told you that they've seen God is a liar or Jesus is a liar. Now we know that jesus had no sin so jesus can't lie so anybody claiming to have seen god in the face of scripture would be a liar listen to this so i always say this if somebody says they've seen god what we should ask them is and you survived you still have skin you you saw god when we read the book of revelation there's lightning and thunder smoke around the throne but you saw you saw god there's 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 the elders there's the living creatures they're bowing before him the elders are are, are giving him the the the, 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 the his praise and the worship they're taking off their crowns they're worshiping the angels can't stop singing holy 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 but no you saw god and you came back to earth and you lived to tell the elder tale but what does jesus say verse 18 no one no one has ever seen God. Now here comes the thing. If people do tell us they had seen God, what we would then ask is, what was heaven like? Or we'd look forward to hearing, well, what about the testimony we have about Jesus? Because Jesus comes from heaven, so yes, it's called the helicopter view. Because he comes from heaven, he's able to look over everything and tell us, and we can trust him because he has a helicopter view. So He comes in the flesh to relate and engage with us. So Jesus is embodied in this gospel message. And then also He explains to us and reveals to us who the Father is. How do we know this? Listen to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has Revealed him So we can't come to the knowledge of who the father is We can't come to the knowledge of the Trinity apart from what we see Jesus revealing So keep in mind when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration There's Jesus there. There's Elijah there and there's Moses there each one represents a dispensation and a covenant Elijah represents the prophets, Moses represents the law, and Jesus represents grace. And the Holy Spirit ascends like a dove. It's the second time it happens. The first at Jesus' baptism, and this is the second time at the Mount of Transfiguration. Then the Holy Spirit ascends as a dove and says this, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him speak, or listen to him so the holy spirit even testifies that jesus testimony is true yet jesus is the one that tells us that he's the only one that is at the side of the father and is the only one that can reveal who god is so if you want to know who god is you need to look at the testimony of jesus why the end of verse 18 he has revealed him now here comes the thing the entire old testament is a makeup of stories pointing to the coming of christ And Jesus comes and no longer are we waiting for the revelation of God, but He has, past tense, revealed Him. So Jesus had made the mystery known, but not in its full capacity. Because the triune God is still, there's still a mystery to it, although we can explain it to a certain degree. But what is some of the things that we see all throughout this? Well, Jesus had to become a man. He had to become a man and live in flesh he came he establishes the glory of god he comes full of grace and truth he is that tabernacle not the tabernacle made by hands but the actual presence of god with us verse 17 uh, moses comes with that law we know that we are all rebels from that law we are all, the law points out the sin, although God hasn't given us right here now, 2021, the law, it is still a standard that points out our sin, that shows us our need for a savior. But that savior comes, and that savior reveals who God is, and verse 16, from his fullness we have received grace after grace in jesus the judgment of god is satisfied in jesus the redemption of humanity is satisfied in jesus death is possible but so too is the resurrection you see the gospel message is a redemption story a redemption story about jesus saving sinners the gospel story is a promise and jesus is the fulfillment you see the gospel story is about grace grace from a loving caring god that each and every one of us as sinners need do you see the desperate need for jesus do you see him as the zoe the light that shines in the darkness the life that is in Him? Do we see Him as Emmanuel, somebody that can engage with us, with our sufferings, with our temptations? Or is Jesus just another story, like some might think? I said in the first session, how would people, how does people describe Jesus as? Well, we start to see now exactly how the picture continues. He is the beginning of all things. He is the Creator. He is God. He is the Word. The Word takes up residence, tabernacles among us, becomes flesh, engages with us, and comes full with the full manifestation of God's grace. There was a man named John, verse 6, who testified about him. He was not the light, but hey, he was a witness of the light. We heard it this morning. How how darkened our understanding that we need somebody to point out to us that there is a light. How darkened the world that we are living in that we need somebody to testify. We need the witness like John to say, here is the light because we can't see. But now we're beginning to understand more about that light and that light comes with the grace of God. The only grace that can pardon us, from our sin, past, present, and future, and the only grace which ultimately the gospel story ends with the resurrection of our Savior, or not ends, but as we have it in Scripture, with the resurrection of our Savior, proving that He has the ability not only to atone for our sin, but to raise us up to life. And if Jesus never became Emmanuel, became flesh, that would have never have been possible. Do you see Jesus, who Jesus is today? And do you and do you see that the law has a demand on our life, but Jesus has the supply? We can't fulfill that demand, but we need the supply of our Savior, and He satisfies it. With From His fullness, we have received grace after grace. Let us bow our heads as we close in prayer. Father, we thank You that we can draw day to a close and we can look at Your Word. Thank You for Your Word this evening. Um, thank You that Your Word nourishes us, it satisfies us, and it fulfills us. Thank You, Lord, that You became Emmanuel, You are Emmanuel, You are God with us, that You took on the form of flesh that you came and tabernacled among us, you engage with us through your life. Thank you, Jesus, that it was because of our sin that you lay down your life at the cross of Calvary, that from your ful- fullness we can receive grace after grace. We thank you for each and every person that has listened to this and that will listen to this, Father. And we pray through your sovereignty and through the work of your Spirit, Lord, that you'll engage with them and draw them to salvation. We give you the glory, the honor, and all of the praise. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen.